Well, uh, we have gotten sort of a late break on the Advent season, and so um, if you missed sort of the uh, the theme uh, today, it's uh, hope. Hope uh, is sort of synonymous with the season, and uh, it doesn't seem like um, something that should come out of such a stark and bleak picture that's been painted uh, by Isaiah. And so here's uh, pretty much the nature of things. I know you are either um, one of any three positions this morning. Either you're about to go into some great crisis, and uh, your world's going to come collapsing in, and things are going to go not as you planned, and, uh, and you're sort of headed for that. Or you're in the midst of that, and you're coming into a crisis and, and sort of in the middle of that crisis, and your world did come crashing down, and things were rough, and all of your hopes and dreams have seemed to collapse, and that's kind of the fire that's burning right now. Or you've just come out of that season, and you're hopeful, and you're looking forward, and you think, that will never happen again right? And if you take stock of your life, if you live for just long enough um, to be, um, you know, coherent in the world, you know that that's just a cycle that sort of repeats on repeat over and over. We kind of mount up our hopes and dreams. We put them all and install them in a certain thing or certain way of doing things. And we call that life and we call that um, fulfillment. And then something happens, some some calamity um, happens to us, and, and knocks down our hopes and dreams. And so um, you can see sort of central into our, our room this morning is this stump. And uh, Isaiah writes to a people who know all too well this cycle. It's, uh, it's the people of Israel. This cycle of um, God calling them, telling them that he loves them, that he, they're his people. And for a time, they get along, but they disobey and they disobey and they disobey. And in God's graciousness, his graciousness, he disciplines them. And that discipline comes by way of him knocking down their hopes and dreams. And so what we often think of as God's unfair way of operating in the world or something happening and, and our world comes collapsing down and we think, how unfair of God to do this to me? I was so excited for that or things were going so well. And as our world comes tumbling down, we, we kind of blame God and yet he's doing something good in us. He's, he's being gracious to us to set our hopes into a better place this morning. So I'm actually going to only major on... Um, Chapter 11, verse 1, which says this. This is out of Isaiah the prophet. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, from this picture of a great and tall tree that used to provide fruit and shade that was once majestic and revered, is now cut down to a stump. But there's a promise from Isaiah. He says, from this stump, a shoot will come forth, and a branch from this roots will bear fruit. And so this morning, I want to encourage you through being stumped for hope, okay? So let's pray and uh, ask the Lord to help us and um, be in our time. Father, we love you. I do thank you for um, just your word that you have entrusted to us that um, even um, just Old Testament and, and, and warnings to um, your people in, in long past and the promises of hope and resolve and deliverance, um, may those um, be evergreen this morning to us. God, I just ask that you would Work through our time, work through um, your word, that you would um, speak um, hope to us, but you would also use it to correct us and, and help us see the grace in your discipline and hard providences. Father, we love you, and we know that you're good in all things. And so whether we find ourselves going into a time of trial or in the middle of a time of trial or coming out of a time of trial, um, God, we, we trust you in this. And so we just ask that you would help us by your word um, to understand what's true this morning and that you would bury it deep in our hearts and plant it so that it might bear fruit. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So there's a, there's a stump. <laughs> yep, okay. So what you need to know, I, I don't have a lot of time to necessarily back up and say, hey, here's what's going on in the, the book of Isaiah. It's packed full, but all of those familiar Christmas verses um, that, that promise to us a deliverer, and behold, the virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and that there will be a place that's in darkness, and then soon light will shine on it, Galilee of the Gentiles, and those people that were walking in darkness formerly will walk in light, and all those are like great and hopeful, and we're like, man, how great is that? And the problem is that we'd like, we, we zoom past the stump, and so it doesn't actually do its work in us, and we get right to the fruit of it. And so when we talk about something like hope, we generally don't mean hope. We generally mean the fulfillment of our hope. But hope is something like that, that precedes that, and it's only produced in us rightly when, when the stump does its work in our hearts. And so what you missed in chapters 1 through 10 is Isaiah laying out why God is going to break down this great and majestic tree. And so generally it's not recommended to um, approach the Bible and take it sort of as metaphor for our lives and, and to apply it that way. It's not, it, it, homiletics 101 is don't do that. That's a no-no. But in this case, we have good, we have good precedent, good merit to do that. Uh, see, this tree is Israel. It's a nation. But this tree is also representative of a family line. And it's also representative of, of a single person. And it's also representative of like a way of doing life. And it's also representative of a promise that was made back in Genesis. Well, because this is sort of a, a recurrent theme, we have good precedent to say, look, if, if there is something in your life that you've installed your hopes and dreams into, this is, this is good merit to look at it and say, well, what does God do when he's disciplining people? And, and why does he do it? And so this morning we're, we're going to approach it that way, but not because we're, we're going to kind of twist it out of its text, but because we want to look at it exactly in its context so that it will do exactly what it should do for us and in us. So this stump is us. It's you and me. It's your life. It's my life. It's our hopes. It's our dreams. And, and so when we look at it, um, we say, well, well, what is it? Well, it, it's, a, it's like a, a, um, a tombstone, if you will. It, it's proof of something true. It's proof that there was a life that was lived, right? It, it represents that there once was a tree that was standing here, and you, 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 you could maybe imagine how tall it was and by the girth of its trunk, or maybe you kind of start counting the rings, and you say, man, this thing has lived a long life, and maybe you kind of could discern what species this one is uh, made of expanding foam. So that's the rare expanding foam tree. But this particular one is representative of the proverbial uh, stump of Jesse. But here's the, here's the deal. You, you might be able to tell some things about it, but what's most important is that it does represent a, a life that was there, but it also represents that something happened to it. Something catastrophic changed the course of events, and now it's what it used to be, it, or what it used to be, it, it isn't to now. And, and so what do we do with that? Or like, what kind of encouragement can you take from that? Well, the assurance is, is first this, that God's word is true. God's word is true. He, he promised that if the people didn't listen, that what he would do is he would discipline them. And so he, he goes through this whole um, uh, explanation of why this people are going to be conquered. And, and what he does is he says, I'm going to bring this godless people, Assyria, this nation who doesn't revere me, who doesn't know my name, who doesn't respect me, and they're going to come and they're going to be my axe. And, and so he uses this metaphor of a tree for Israel. And he says, I'm going to bring Assyria and he's going to lay low this, this proverbial forest of Israel. And he's only going to leave this, this barren stump behind. And so we look at that and we say, well, what was Israel? And why would, why would God do that? Well, because they, they were being disobedient. 
But he, but he also couples with that promise. Yes, I'm, I'm going to discipline you, but out of that discipline will come hope. And that's exactly what Isaiah is doing here. Out of that discipline of, of being cut down, there's going to be new life. And it's going to be a better life. It's not going to be what you had your hope in before. So the first things first is to deal with the stump. The reality is that it proves to us that there was life before, that there was a discipline that happened, but now there's also the nature of, well, what could come out of it? And so this morning, I want to talk about a couple different kinds of hope. We have like um, corrupted hope, which is sort of this, this hope that we have that, that might be good. It's right. It's something that, that God's given us. And, and it, there's no problem with necessarily enjoying it or, or filling our hearts with something good. But we also sort of um, tend to taint our hopes with our, our own ways of approaching it or our own ways of, of revering it. And, and so in that case, we kind of taint what God meant for good, which was for Israel to have a king and a kingdom. But initially when, when God said, you're going to be my people and I am your king, they said, we, we want a king like all the other nations. And, and so God relents knowing that this isn't for their good. And so what, what was once a good hope to be a, a people and, and to belong to God, they, they sort of taint with the human perspective or the human approach to it. And, and so they have this corrupted hope then that somehow by having a king just like all the other nations out there, that we'll be just like them. And so we have corrupted Hopes. And then there's also just false hopes. There's, there's a, a, a promise taken that wasn't actually given, which is like, hey, not only are we going to be a nation that belongs to God, but we're going to take over the whole world, and we're going to do it by conquering, and we're going to do it by command. And that's also uh, uh, coupled with or, or sort of analogous to the, the corrupted hope, but it's, it's slightly different because it's something that you've made up. So the first one has a promise that God actually made that you kind of, you kind of add your thing to it, but the other one is a promise you've made yourself. And you sort of take God's um, blessing that he says, if you, if you follow me, if you, if you live by my rules, and, and I'll bless you. But you take that to say, well, I'll, I'll bless anything you do. And so you kind of establish your own hopes. And then the last one is just like no hope, which is exactly sort of where we're left with now. So after all of the discipline and after things come crashing down, and like what, what cause or what reason should we have or do we have to hope? Well, because... God had told Israel this was exactly what was going to happen. And because we know that that shoot that comes forth that bears fruit is Christ, we know that there's reason to believe and not just God's promises of discipline, but then that he'll resolve those things for us and, and that he'll complete his word. Um, when, we, when we talk about hope, though, and I, I said we tend to think about, about it more in, this, in the sense of the fulfillment and not hope itself. Um, but Paul has a simple challenge, and he, and he says this in Romans 8. Who hopes... Um, now, what is, excuse me, now hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he has? Who, who hopes for what he sees? Like, the point is this, if you're holding it, it's not really something that you're, you're hopeful about. You've already guaranteed the outcome. So hope has to do with something about being a, a delayed, a delayed resolve on attention, which is exactly what we find here. After Isaiah makes this promise, he lives somewhere around the 7th century B.C. So for 700 years, I, I did a little calculation by the um, math of Scripture. A generation is about 40 years. That's 17 and a half generations. Only one generation of which actually experienced the main disobedience and the cutting down of the tree. And every other generation after that had to wait for the resolution, which was Christ. All they came to was the stump which is a testimony about the disobedience that used to be there and about the false hopes and the corrupt hopes that were placed on God. So who hopes for what he has? No one hopes for what he has because he already has it. No one hopes for what he already sees because he doesn't need to. 
So the question this morning is, what part of your hopes are you, are you, um, are you uh, having in the wrong, are you approaching in the wrong way? The stump is evidence of the tree, which is our hopes, evidence of a dramatic change of those hopes, and, um, and, the, and the redirection of our hopes. So the first thing that we deal with uh, is judgment. So the stump is, like I said, like, like a gravestone. So we have this judgment that comes. Assyria is used as God's tool, his axe, if you will. And if the word of judgment is true about God bringing um, discipline to his people, then we need to ask, well, if something like that is happening in my life, am I looking at it in the sense of it's discipline or am I looking at it as, as a way to revile God? And I think, unfortunately, too often we, we put our hopes in, in God's mouth and and then we get upset when God doesn't fulfill those hopes. God says, I've spoken a word and it will come to pass. No, no one can stay my hand unless, unless something happens. And it, that is deliverance or repentance, by, uh, which, which brings deliverance. And so, listen, the, the, the salve for the wounds of broken hope and false hope and corrupted hope is not to look at the stump and then find some more quicker fulfillment or some lesser fulfillment. Just to go to say, well, I, I don't think I want to wait for this anymore. I, I don't want to wait any longer. And so I'm just going to go find something else to capture my attention, which is most often what we do. We, we may even go so far as to conclude that thing that I was hoping in may not have been the best thing for me. So I'll just go to something new. But God doesn't want us to go to something new. He wants us to stay exactly where he planted us. And so for 700 years, I mentioned, there's just a stump reminding the people not to leave here because there will come fruit from this place. And so I just want to say, you've got to stay put. Don't leave for, quote unquote, greener pastures or an already blooming tree. And often we do this and we look at God and we look at the discipline in our lives and we look at something that's broken and then we say, this is unfair, I'm sort of blameless in this situation because if you think about all 17 and a half generations that came after this promise that are just waiting for it to be fulfilled in Christ and even those who were contemporaries of Christ, they're not um, thinking, well, what did I do? They've got to be thinking, like, what did I do to deserve this? I was brought into captivity. Um, I, didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't part of the generations before that, that caused this to be. And, and yet in doing that, we sort of... Um, make God out to be the bad guy and forgetting that this is a righteous discipline on um, people. And so instead of painting ourselves with this, um, this brush of blamelessness, uh, I want you to really take an examination of your heart and ask, what kind of hopes do I have? And like, are, are they actually true to what God has said he would do or what he will fulfill? The distinctions that follow for um, the people are, are resolved in that the fact that what God has disciplined, he will bring fruit from. Not that he will bring fruit from some other place. And in fact, when God promises things and, they, and they're delayed sometimes, we tend to take things into our own hands. This is evidence over and over in Scripture as, as people have um, heard the promise of, of some resolution, some deliverance, and, and then like Abraham decides that he, it's been a long time since God made this promise of an heir, and so he'll just find a different way to make that promise true. And, and that's not um, taking the... The, the force of the discipline rightly. God cut off the tree so that we would stay at the tree, but that he would produce fruit from the same tree. So God's promises of deliverer and for us personally doesn't come necessarily from our, our going other places 
to, uh, to find resolution. Previous to this, this promise, um, the king of Israel was told that God would um, be with him. He didn't need to seek any political alliances. He didn't need to worry about being conquered by these foreign people. And so the, the uh, prophet went to him and said, look, look, you don't need to take anybody to battle. And so he had this nice righteous word about, I don't want to test the Lord. And, and the, the prophet's like, no, you, you, if you want to know that God is with you, you can test him. Ask him for any sign under heaven, as, as he says, as low as Sheol and as high as the heavens, and God will show you that he's with you. And Ahaz responds, um, I, I won't put the Lord to the test. And out of that response, this is like a false, a false righteousness. Out of that response is where we get this promise. If you don't ask for a sign, God will give you a sign. And the sign will be that a virgin will conceive. So what we think for we think of as this like great promise that kind of came just sort of out of a neutral situation was actually out of the disobedience of the heart of the king. He sought the the political alliance. He was told not to because he he uh, uh, um, sided with the foreign power, and that's was what was known. And God um, preemptively knows that this discipline is going to be needed, and so He promises what will be the deliverance of that and the sign of that deliverance. And so we're, we're supposed to be. Um, watching and waiting, expecting the resolution to come in the way that God says. And so I, I think this morning, when you hear something like, well, if I have my hopes and dreams dashed and, and, and something's going wrong, and you're calling it discipline, Mitch, I have a bunch of objections to that. And so actually the, the bulk of the rest of um, what I want to, hopefully what the Lord wants to speak this morning, is just centered on our objections to this idea that God's discipline is unfair. Or that, that centering our hope and waiting for him is better. I think one thing that we often think is we see something that happens. We have some great hope. And, um, and maybe we didn't realize it was as big of a hope as we thought it was until it's gone. And then we conclude that the thing that brought about that destruction is maybe more powerful than God. More powerful than God. So we'll say something like, uh, you know, I, I really wasn't worried about my health until something went wrong with my health. And then I found out a lot of my hope is in my health. And, and then we conclude something like cancer or, or something, some other diagnosis, some other disease, some other problem is actually, it's in, it's in more control than God is. And so we begin to fear cancer. We, we fear having bad health more than we fear God. And... Um, Isaiah knew that this was going to happen. And he said, what's going to happen is Assyria, who is this, this nation that's going to conquer and bring God's discipline, they're going to get full of themselves. They're going to think, Israel's just like every other nation we conquered, and their God is just like all of these pagan gods that we've conquered before. And, and how great are we that we've been able to do this? And he said, but will the axe boast over the one who wields it? God is saying, I I'm the one that wields that axe. That God is actually in control of your cancer. And God's in control of your health. And so whatever that pillar of tree, whatever fruit that you were hoping to get, and then it's taken away, don't conclude that that thing is more in control of your heart and your life and your destiny than God is. Can the, can the axe boast over the one who wields it, says Isaiah in chapter 10. I want to rewind um, back to the last chapter, because I want you to get a sense of what's happening. In, in chapter 10, in verse 8, or excuse me, in verse 7, 
This is the king of Assyria. And this is um, what his mentality will be. He's, he's going to go and he's going to plunder and he's going to knock down and he's going to, to bring wrath. But it says, woe to Assyria, in verse 5, the rod of my anger. That's God saying that what Assyria is doing is actually my wrath. That's my discipline. And he says, against a godless nation, I send him. That's Israel. He's just, he's just told Israel, you're, you're acting like a godless people. And so I'm going to send them, send them against you. It says, but in verse 7, he does not so intend and his heart does not so think. Here's, here's what's being said there. The king of Assyria thinks he's going out to conquer a people just like he's conquered every other people. But what God's saying is I, I've actually got control over that. And even though in his heart he doesn't think that's what he's doing, he is the rod of my anger. And so when you, when you hear the rod of my anger, don't think God's, God's being mean to me because I've done something wrong, so he's disciplining me with that. No, he's realigning your hopes. We're going to get there in just a second. Then in, um, in uh, verse uh, 12, he goes on and he says, When the Lord has finished all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, he will punish the speech of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the boastful look in his eyes. He's going to say, e even after I'm done with that, uh, even, even after Assyria's come and he's laid low, um, my, my people in, in my city, in my kingdom, in my um, line, my royal line, I'm going to punish the axe that I used because he's boastful in his heart, thinking that he's done all of these things. And even though that may be delayed for us, all of the, all of the collapsing calamities that happen to us, that, that break down all of our hopes, are things that God will ultimately defeat. Sickness and death, greed and frustration, all of the things that we experience in life that do crash down our hopes. And we think, well, surely that's not going to be resolved. God says he will put all of those things to right. So is the axe able to boast over the one who wields it? The answer is, is no. So the answer, first of all, is, is that thing more powerful than God? No. And the second question then is, is evil winning then? Because I look around and if there's, there's no hope coming from my stump particularly, and it seems like um, there's, there's just a lot of barrenness and, and, and nothing coming out of this life. There's a hard but beautiful truth in this. That the evidence that God is with us is in the fact that he's, he's bringing justice to both us and to wrongdoers and to all kinds of sin. And so you, you would say, if, if God's discipline is something like, I, 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 I rebel against, I, I bristle under, I don't like it. And because you're thinking about it as, as God being mean to you for something that you've done instead of God um, graciously correcting you and, and planting your hope on a better thing. The fact that God is with us is evidenced through the judgment in the midst of suffering. He promises in the middle of this that I, I am with you and I'm going to bring something out of this. And, and that he's the one that's, that because he's the one that's bringing the discipline, because the one that promised it and the one that's bringing the fruit after it, we know that he's in the middle of it with us. The barrenness of, of the stump is, is evidence that only God can bring something new from it. The last one I think is probably the most difficult, and I think it's the, uh, but it's probably the category I think that all of us um, find ourselves in most often, which is this. I'm mad, I'm mad at God because this is unfair. I don't feel like my hope was something that he wouldn't want me to have, 
um, you know, it's, it would maybe happen to something or someone that's innocent. Um, I just loved my spouse and now they're gone. Or I just had a hope for a particular um, job. Or you, you can see how something innocuous like that or, or seemingly neutral might cause us then to, to, to revile and be upset with God. And so we're just angry at God. And we think, well, I'm blameless in this situation. And so how could, how could God do this to me? How could he knock down um, my hopes? I, I struggled with this for a little while. And then um, I think the easiest way to talk about this is to talk about it by metaphor or analogy. Because God is willing to let your disappointment be as great as your commitment to something that won't fulfill you. And here's what I mean by that. If someone says, hey, uh, if you try to grab that pot off the stove while it's got boiling water in it, it's going to burn your hands. And, and you say, I think I can get it from at least the stove to the counter without burning my hands. And, and you go for it, and then you might burn your hands, but it'll only be a little bit of burn, Right? But if you say, I think I can pick up this pot and I'm going to get it all the way to the living room, right? I'm going to pick up this pot. As committed as you are to that thing, that's how, that's how hard that discipline will appear in your, in your life. So as, as, as committed as you are to, to something, to, to, to try and find out whether or not that's really something that's worth doing, you, God will, God will that, that discipline is proportionate to the amount of hope that you've put into it. And, and so when we um, get so angry with God, because something has come crashing down, it's generally pointing back, it's, it's a mirror back to us because it shows us just how much hope and just how, how much we've installed into that thing. And so you say, well, but that, there, there really is emotion behind that. There really is love behind that. There really is frustration or, or a feeling of, I don't feel, I don't know how um, or why God would take that thing away or, or feel like that's a way of discipline. And in the midst of those times and things, the real loss, the real pain, the actual emotional hole that's left. Um, that line in a little town of Bethlehem, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in the tonight. God intends to use all of these things to point us to the only solution for the kind of pain that you actually have. I don't feel I've articulated this as well as I, I could have. So I want to say this one more time. In the midst of your stump, and your frustration, and your anger, and your feelings of blamelessness, and your reviling of God, God's using that to point you to the only thing that actually is worth putting your hope into. He's not necessarily saying that thing doesn't hurt or you didn't really love that or it wasn't worth loving. He is saying the only thing that will actually soothe your heart is him. Jesus enters into that exact scenario. He comes into the middle of darkness and hopelessness and pain and longing and hope because he is the only hope that actually resolves all of those things. And so you can, yeah, you can try and put your hope in the next thing or the quickest thing 
or something lesser. But what God really wants you to do is let the stump do its work so that you will give up those false hopes and those corrupted hopes and no hope and put it in the one that actually can give hope and be hope. Hope is not something like the feeling that I have because of the circumstances and I've weighed the odds and it's more likely than not that that thing will happen. Some of us, have, like, we have an analytical brain. We have like, you know, we kind of run the logistics, the spreadsheet in our minds. And we think we're making most of our decisions based on, um, you know, the greater odds. And so we're, we're hopeful about things that seem more likely because the odds are in the favor of that. And some of you are like more emotionally driven and, and you'd be like, hey, I know this Amazon review got, you know, one star out of 10,000 reviews, but what if I'm that one guy that they actually sent the good thing to? And so you're like, you're, you're hopeful in that sense. And you're not doing it by statistics and logistics. And some people are more emotionally driven, some people more uh, quantitatively driven, but neither one of those things is actually hope. Hope is, in spite of the circumstances, living in light of a different reality. It means that at night, you live knowing that the sun is going to come up. That's, that seems like silly and odd, but it's, it's actually true. Hope is not looking at the circumstances saying, well, it's really dark right now. The odds are that if it stays this dark, it will never be light again. Well, living in light of the circumstances of the nighttime, you will never live as though the day will ever be. But if you live knowing that the day will be and the sun will shine, that's what hope is. It's the substance of the thing that is true. And Christ is the only substance. The absence of something right now points us to the one thing that it can actually fulfill us. So I want to point you towards a psalm, Psalm 47. I'm going to read through most of it, and that will be the close for this morning. Why are you cast down, my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation, and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember. My, my soul is cast down within me, so I need to do something else than look at my circumstances and feel my emotions and look how dark it is. I'm cast down, but I need to remember something, that from the land of Jordan and Hermon and Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep, at the roar of the waterfalls, all your breakers and all your waves have gone over me. Those are the, the objects that, of discipline, the, the means of, of, of being buried in chaos and destruction. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? The circumstances seem like I'm alone. I don't have a lot of reason to hope. Why I ask, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning? Because of the oppression of my enemy. Is my enemy stronger than me? Is that enemy of my soul more powerful than you, God? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries, they taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O oh, my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? He leaves with this like question mark. <laughs> Who can bring life from the stump? I, I, I don't feel like there's anything that's going to come from this. And he doesn't, he doesn't give him the set of odds and circumstances. He, he doesn't lay out a, a one, two, three course to, to get your hope up better for tomorrow. 
He just simply resolves on what's true. Hope in God. Hope in God. I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You've got maybe every reason in the world coming into, going out of, looking forward to. Maybe a reason to feel like there is no hope. Well, put your hope in God. You will praise him. He is our salvation. So hope is living knowing that the sun, S-O-N and S-U-N, is coming in the morning. Let's pray.